0: And the testimony of God's own word about him is found in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, and it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. In all the years that I have read the Bible verses about him, it was not until May of 1993 that the law, Lord brought to my attention with impact some verses written over in Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 24 through 26, and I want you to turn there uh, in your Bible or on your phone, whatever you've got your version of Scripture on. They're simple little verses, but they tell us something incredibly important. And in second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24, it says, "In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord, who answered him and gave him a miraculous." Sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore the Lord's wrath did not come upon him during the days of Hezekiah. I was traveling to a city down in Texas, Greenfield, Texas. I'd never been there before. And it was a May afternoon, and I had told the pastor that I would meet him uh, about four o'clock. And as I got fairly close to the city, the Lord spoke to me and said, Nathan, you... You need to find a quiet place and you need to talk to me before you talk to any human being. And so I thought to myself, I thought, well, I don't know exactly where the church is. I mean, I have the address, but I've never been to this city before. But, but, but I'm going to guess there's probably a city park somewhere there. And I'm a little ahead of schedule. So I'll just go to the city park. And I'll just spend some time and find out what it is that the Lord wants to say to me. And so it just so happened that the church was literally right outside the edge of town on the highway that I was traveling on. And I went right by it. And sure enough, about a mile and a half down from the church was a nice little city park. And so I I pulled in there. It was warm in Texas in May, and so I found a shade tree and rolled the window down. And I had my Bible and stuff in, in the back of, of the trunk, and so I, I went back there and opened it up and got my Bible and slid back into the driver's seat of the car. And I, I just picked up reading where I'd been reading earlier in the day for, for my morning devotion time, which happened to be in Second Chronicles. And I read down through a chapter and started here into chapter 32 and suddenly saw these verses. And it shook me because this man was my hero. And it made me ponder the significance of why God would include these things for us to read about one of the really great spiritual greats in the Old Testament. And it made me realize that surely there was something here for us to consider, saint and sinner alike. Now, the Bible has a great deal to say about pride. When the writer of Proverbs lists six things that God hates, he puts pride at the top of the list. Another writer tells us that pride is an abomination in the sight of God and he reminds us that it's fruitful of disaster since pride goes before destruction and a haunty spirit before a fall. When Jesus mentions the evils that really defile a man or a woman that rot their soul, he mentions pride as one of them. And when Paul over there in the first chapter of Romans utters that scathing indictment against the pagan society of his day, he names pride as one of their ugly sins. And both James, the Lord's brother, and the apostle Peter joined their voices in saying, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, there is a pride that's legitimate. In his letter to the book of Romans, Paul writes, I I am proud of the gospel. You say, brother Compton, that's not exactly how he said it. I I know. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's really what he was implying. I'm proud of the gospel. And it was a legitimate pride because it was born not out of his own conceit, but out of his sense of worth of the gift of God. And we have a right to be proud of our task. In fact, if we're not proud of it, it's not very likely that we will do it very well. And I remember in one of my pastors, a neighboring pastor called me one day. And he said, really coming in, he said that last Sunday there was a couple in my church uh, from your community. And he said, the reason they were there was because we were baptizing their, their grandbaby. And he said, they're kind of rough, but I think they're prospects for your church. And so he gave me a name and an address and a phone number. And so a couple of three days later, Linda I made a phone call to them and, and, and made an appointment to meet with them. And Linda and I drove out there and... Um, he wasn't kidding about that rough part. She'd been a truck driver for 25 years, cussed like a sailor. About every fourth word that came out of her mouth was a four-letter word and it wasn't good. <laughs> and so I talked with them for a while and, and, and invited them to church. And they didn't say they would or they wouldn't. And so we got out in the car and I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I... Um, I think they're potential jewels. They're kind of rough, but they're potential jewels. She said, I don't know about the jewel part, but I'll agree about the rough. <laughs> but I kept working on them. I finally led them to the Lord in their home nine months later. And I would invite them to come to church. In fact, we had a ladies' Bible study on Tuesday. And I, I would say, Jimmy, she, I, I want you to come to a Bible study. She said, preach. I ain't coming to those girly meetings. They make me nervous. The truth is, she would have made my ladies nervous, but I wanted her to hear the gospel. And so I kept inviting her to come, and she said, I I, I don't have any dresses. And I said, I don't care. Wear your overalls. I want you to come and hear the gospel. And and so they started coming, and it just just amazed me how God accelerated their spiritual growth. And, and, And within three months, Her husband, who was a foreman of a a carpenter crew, he was leading Bible studies at lunch out of his own spiritual growth and his excitement in in coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, And I watched God work with them. And back in those days, most of our ladies would wear a dress or, or, or a pantsuit. And and over a two-year period, I, I watched God, the gospel just literally transformed this couple. And she came out one Sunday morning wearing a gorgeous dress. And she shook hands with me after the service and on the way out the door and she leaned over and whispered in my ear and she said, I'm feeling more girly all the time. <laughs> it was just... It was, this is what Paul was talking about. The power of the gospel... To transform us and mold us and shape us. And maybe we can better understand what pride is by a glance at its opposite. You see, to have no pride is not, as some people think, to have contempt for ourselves. The opposite of pride is humility, and humility is the queen among the virtues. And I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but it's the only virtue that Jesus ever called attention to in his own life. He said, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He, learn from me, he was saying, because I'm not proud, because I'm humble. And there's a beautiful picture of that in Scripture that makes the difference between pride and humility very clear. Jesus and his friends have come together to share their last meal, we call it, literally that, in the upper room. And it just so happened that there were no servants present. Possibly the meal was being taken in secret because of the animosity against Jesus and it's only really a matter of hours. Before he'll be crucified, and in those days everybody walked in sandals on dusty roads, and and so to wash your feet was not just a ceremonial kind of thing. If you were going to enjoy the meal, people needed to have their feet washed. Um, more more than just kind of this ritualistic kind of thing, and that that task was reserved for the youngest servant. It was considered the lowest. Activity in the culture at the time, and Jesus girded himself with a towel, took off his outer garment, girded himself with a towel, and got a wash basin and and began to wash all the disciples' feet. Now Peter could have done it, but personally, I don't think I would have wanted to suggested it to him. And James and John were there, but they were called the Sons of Thunder for a reason, so I don't think I would have wanted to have suggested it to them either. But Jesus had a different feeling about the matter. And, and so he washed their feet. Why? Why? Was it because they had no self-respect? No. He did it because he had cast out pride. And the fact that he had cast out pride didn't mean that he had contempt for himself. No man ever had a more beautiful self-respect than Jesus. Notice his attitude over in the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. As he's doing this Lordy text, verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he'd come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. In other words, in the very moment when Jesus was most conscious of who he was, where he had come from, and where he was going to return. In that moment, he stopped, and in humility, he did the lowliest, the most lowly task in his culture. You see, pride is not not self-respect. It's an ugly self-conceit. But even realizing what pride is, why, why, why should we refuse it a place in our hearts? Right? There's some very definite reasons. Some of them are just really, really simple. And, and the first one is this. We shouldn't allow it in our hearts because it's just downright silly. Now, you remember that nursery rhyme about Little Jack Horner? It goes, you know, Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, Well, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you, that's not the way it goes. Well, thank you, Mom. Now, he stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, What a good boy am I? Good for what? I mean, he doesn't have any gratitude for the tree that grew the plum and the God who, who created the tree. He doesn't have any, any gratitude for the unnamed cook who made the pie. No, you see, he, he only thought of his own greatness. He said, what a good boy am I. Good for what? Good, good because he could stuff his stomach with something that others had put in his hand. I mean, you say, Brother Compton, that's really, really silly. I know, but you'll remember it. Because pride is that foolish. I mean, there isn't anything that you and I have that somebody else, including God, didn't give to us. Uh, If you have a beautiful countenance, you did nothing to obtain that. If you have a lovely voice, you may train it. But God Almighty decided whether you would have one like that or one like I've got. I just make a joyful noise. It's not joyful to people sitting next to me when I'm singing, but God enjoys it. Okay. Hopefully because I'm singing from my heart. Um, Well, if you've got a bright mind, you can discipline it and you can enhance it. But but, folks, God decided about the IQ. In fact, the very fact that we were born, a couple of other people made a decision about that. There's really nothing that we have that didn't come at the hands and the love of somebody else. And it sounded silly, but but was so often like little Jack. Secondly, we, we need to get pride out of our lives. Oh, this is going to be great. Don't you just love technology? Can you help me back there? One more click. There we go. Oh, we got them all. Okay, good. We need to get rid of pride because it's so weakening. How many, how many have observed, we've watched football teams, swagger out on the field only to slip away in defeat? Not because they had no skill, but because they were too sure of themselves. And how many have lost moral and spiritual battles? Not because they didn't have a chance to win, but because they were too conceited to avail themselves of the resources that might have given them victory. Solomon was right when he said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, Paul admonishes says, bear one another's burdens. But sometimes in our pride, we, we, we won't really admit that we're struggling. And we Christians, we really have a hard time with it. If, if we've ever stood up on Wednesday night and testified that we're saved and sanctified, it's extremely difficult for us to ever admit that we're struggling with some area in our life. But we all have some areas. I mean, the enemy of our soul knows our weakness. And he never forgets where it is. And he knocks on that door every opportunity that he has. Third reason that we need to get pride out because because pride is cruel. It's harsh in its judgment. It's constantly in search of the worst instead of the best. Do you remember the story that Jesus told over there in in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18? It was about a Pharisee. Who came to the temple to pray? And he was the very embodiment of pride. I mean, as he stands there praying, he uses words like these I thank you, O God, that I'm not like other men. Well, what did he think about you and me? Thieves, rogues, immoral. Wouldn't that bless your soul to know somebody at the church was praying for you like that? You see, in his eyes, all men and women are crooked. All others are eager to take advantage. All others are unclean in their lives. As far as he's concerned, he alone is all that he ought to be. He has a good eye on himself, a bad eye on everybody else, and no eye on the Lord at all. And you see, not, not only are proud men and women... I'm going to try this again just to see if it's going to help us. Now, it's decided to freeze. Um... Not only are proud men and women cruel in their judgment, but they're equally cruel in their conduct. It is not easy to live with somebody who is proud. The proud person is always right and you are always wrong. And if some difficulty arises, if somebody gets his feelings hurt, it's the pride one who's the last to forgive. If he wounds another, if she wounds another, they're they're reluctant to apologize. Pride is willing to break its own heart in order to have the questionable pleasure of breaking the heart of somebody else. Talk about stupid. There is really no measuring the hell that's been turned loose in this world through the pride of individuals and of nations. Pride is a cruel, murderous, and damning thing. And a fourth reason why we need to get pride out of our lives is that pride makes for wretchedness. We would expect that since to be prideful is cruel and selfish. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek and merciful. You see, just as these beatitudes are true when stated positively, so the opposite of them is also true. If the humble are happy, then the proud are unhappy. There is not a prideful heart in all the world that knows the secret of abiding joy. I mean, if you just want, if you just want something that will torture you just cultivate pride and the final reason that we need to throw pride out of our lives is because pride shuts the door to fellowship with God I want to go back a moment to that story that Jesus told about those two men praying in the temple there's a tremendous contrast between those two men first there's a contrast in their outer character Now, the Pharisee, in spite of all of his fault, really has a lot to say for himself. I I mean, he's decent and respectable. He led a clean life. He paid his debt. He's a pillar in the church and the state. The publican, on the other hand, he's a renegade. Uh, To all intents and purposes, he's a traitor to his country. Not only was there a contrast in... Their character, but there was a contrast in their prayers. Listen to the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, what's he seeking in his prayer? The answer is nothing. He simply stands up in his pride and brags on himself in the presence of God. He virtually tells God how fortunate he is to have such a person like this on his side. What a perfect servant he he thinks he is. But the publican on the other hand, he has no pride. I mean, he doesn't have a single word to say for himself. He's made a mess out of his life and he knows it. And standing in the presence of his disappointed Lord, he doesn't even dare to lift his eyes toward the heaven, but he smites himself on the chest and he prays this very human and very tender prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then comes the final contrast. There's a contrast in the results of their praying. What happened when that Pharisee prayed Absolutely nothing. Having all but broken his arm to pat himself on the back, he went down to his house when the service was over, cold as an icicle and hard as a nail. Why did that happen? Well, it wasn't because God didn't love him. It was because the Pharisee was too proud to receive what God was eager to give him. But Jesus tells us the Pharisee, the publican rather, went down to his house justified. He went back home in the fellowship of God. It happened because he humbled himself before God and he admitted that he needed to be forgiven. And the good news is God forgave him. And, And what an incredible warning this incident in the life of Hezekiah is for us all. Pride is a danger for godly men and women. A good number of years ago now, my wife and I were having a conversation about something, and she said to me, Nathan, I I think you've become prideful about that. And I said, well, I don't agree with you, but but I'll talk to God about it. That was my first mistake. Because when I talked to him about it, he agreed with her. (laughs) And so I came back and I apologized to her. And she cried. She said, you didn't have to do that. And I said, yes, I did have to do that. I'm your spiritual leader and I sinned in front of you. And if I'm going to sin in front of you, I need to repent in front of you. And apologize. I mean think about it folks. If pride was an issue. For Lucifer and one third of the angels. Standing in the very presence of the glory of God. Then imagine what kind of a temptation that is for you. And me. In this sin darkened world. You see, the saving element for Hezekiah and for us is seen in verse 26. It says, Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on him during the days of Hezekiah. May the Lord help you and I to be so wise. Now, you see, I really don't know anything about you. Though this is my second time to be here. And, and no, your pastor hasn't said anything to me. About anything. Um, number one, I wouldn't let him. But number two, he wouldn't just because he's a respectful man of God. If I have said something in in these messages that, that struck a responsive chord, it's because I talk to somebody who knows a whole lot more about you than your pastor does. And it's just my responsibility to deliver the message that God puts on my heart. I don't try to figure out how that's supposed to fit in somebody's life. I couldn't. I said to you last night, I learned a long time ago, you, you, you can never look out at an audience and really know what's in the hearts of men and women. You can't. Only God knows that. So I don't know why God wanted to address this and look at the life of one of the really spiritual giants in the Old Testament. But pride became an issue for him. It may become an issue for us. And so I want you to stand with me. And I want her to slip to the piano there if she would. And you, you're, you're getting to know me well again. And you know how much respect I have for you. But, but I wonder that if maybe in this simple little message, God, God just may have put his finger on some little area in somebody's life. And said, "You know, you really need to pray with me about that, and that won't be easy. It's never easy to step out in in front of your peers. Um, and and why, why why do we have invitations like this? It certainly isn't meant to embarrass you." <laughs> And I realize you can make life-changing decisions standing right there in the pew, and sometimes that's what I ask people to do. But but the way into the kingdom is is through humility. It's also the way we stay in the kingdom. And and yes, I will be honest with you, it kind of deals with our pride to step out in an aisle and walk down an aisle and deal at an altar. And I know that's going to take courage. So let's just pray for one another. Father God, you just know why this precious body of believers needed to look at this concept. There isn't any way that I could know. I don't even want to know. But I know that how shocked I was, Lord, when you pointed out this, this flaw in my hero's life. And then you begin to apply it to my own. And maybe without really, really realizing it, Lord, maybe, maybe there's some area in our life where we've become prideful. And that's a danger for us all. Perhaps we just need to come and lay our heart out there before you like like the publican. Just humble ourselves and ask you to put things in perspective for us. And so would you just allow the Holy Spirit to come and and to tell us the truth? It's pretty easy for us to justify things sometimes, Lord. At least it is for me. And so would you just turn the light of your love on us? And if you point out something, would would you give us the courage and the humility to just come and put ourselves in that position where your grace can flow and where you can work on our heart and just get us where we really need to be. We ask this for our own sake and for the advancement of your kingdom. And we pray that the Holy Spirit can do only what he can do His altar's open. Some have already come. I wonder if there's somebody else who'd say, Brother Covington, through this simple message tonight, God has spoken to me. I'd just like an opportunity to lay my life out before the Lord and pray. I'm not going to tarry long. I just respect you so much. And if it would come... For being so gracious. Would you just gather in if you'd like to help us pray with these that have come? If you um, need to go because of the lateness of the hour, I want you to feel free in a moment to slip out quietly. But we'd, otherwise, would you be seated there where you are so you can be comfortable? Because what we're doing now is as important as anything we've done all hour, and let's just allow the Lord to have His way and work on our hearts.